to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, good evening, everybody. All right. Uh, my name is Chase Jacobs. If I haven't met you yet, I work here. Glad that we're here. If you've got a Bible, go to John chapter 6. It's going to be on page 520 in those white Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible, you can find one of those white Bibles around you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one. That's our gift to you. It was $2. Welcome. But we have a lot to get through tonight, so it's going to feel like we are sprinting. By the end, we're going to be out of breath, and there's going to be a lot left behind us that we haven't got to look at. This is like the longest chapter in John, and we're going to go through the whole thing tonight, so it should be good. But if you're there, we're going to jump right in, okay? So we're in John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 1. All 71, brother, all 71 glorious verses, so get ready. So don't interrupt or we'll never get done. After this, verse 1, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So it gives us a little bit of context there. Last week we read John chapter 4, the woman of Samaria at the well. We are skipping over John chapter 5 as we skim through the Gospels, and in John chapter 5 we see Jesus healing people. And as he's gone around in this ministry of healing people and, and starting to teach uh, his gospel of the kingdom, people are drawn to him. I mean, wouldn't you be if you saw a guy like healing people? You know, in John chapter 5, we see a person that has been paralyzed just suddenly get up and walk. And so people are amazed by this, and this huge crowd starts following Jesus around. So verse 3, so Jesus went up on the mountain, this is out in the wilderness, there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. But Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, though also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Now this is a miracle as recounted in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a lot that can be said and a lot that has been said about it, but all, for our purposes tonight, what we want to see is there were a lot of people and they didn't have anything to eat and Jesus miraculously fed them. Okay, got it? It says 5,000 men. That probably means that there were more than 10,000 people there if you count women and children, and Jesus somehow is able with, with just a few loaves and fishes to feed all of them so that they have their fill. It's incredible. And what does everybody do? They freak out. Look what happens at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
That's how incredible that miracle was. That at that instant, 10,000 people wanted to grab Jesus and make him king. Now, what would you do if 10,000 people were so in love with you that they wanted to come and make you their king by force? That would be sweet. But what does Jesus do? Jesus runs away. And that says something about Jesus right there, doesn't it? That all of these people are about to try and make him king, and Jesus runs the other way. Why does he do that? We're going to see he does it really for, for two main reasons. First, because he knows something about that crowd. And secondly, he knows something about himself. Okay? So to be clear, that isn't because Jesus doesn't think of himself as a king. I know this study is, is called, Who Did Jesus Think He Was? Actually, what we're going to see is that Jesus does think that he's a king. Later in the book of John, uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome, asks him about his kingdom, and Jesus says, yes, I am in fact a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. But at this moment when they try to make him king, he runs the other way, he hides from them. So then look at verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them, and the sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened, but Jesus said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Again, another incredible miracle. We're not going to talk about it at all. All that John is trying to say at this point is they were on this side, and then in the middle of the night, Jesus snuck over to this side of the sea. Okay? Now, he happened to sneak on top of the water. But the main idea is that when everybody wakes up the next morning, the crowd can't find Jesus. So look at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So what I want you to picture in your head is they wake up the next day and they're looking for this guy that they want to be their king. And they can't find him. And what you hear is they're expending a lot of effort looking for this guy. So much so that they think he must be over on the other side of this sea. Imagine what it would take to get 10,000 people in old wooden sailboats across a lake. That's a lot of effort, isn't it? That's a lot of work, but they're trying to find Jesus. And look what happens when they find him, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Remember, we said Jesus did not want to be their king in this moment because he knew two things, something about them and something about himself. This is what he knows about the crowd. That they weren't really looking for Jesus. They were looking for bread. They didn't really love Jesus. They loved the idea of Jesus because they thought that if Jesus was their king, then they would always have food to eat. That's it. We can laugh at them, but maybe some of you are actually in a very similar position. 
You know, maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, I really do believe in God and I want to become a Christian. Maybe you think of yourself as a Christian and have for years, but if you really checked your motives, you would find that your desire to pray and to be involved in Christian stuff, to worship God even, is really more from a motive that if you think you are somehow right with God, then God would give you good stuff. Maybe the reason your circumstances in life right now aren't so good is because you and God are not so good. Maybe you feel like your life's a wreck and you lack some kind of peace or right view of yourself and, and you lack self-esteem or you lack something and you think, if, man, if I was just with God, then, then things would be better. Maybe God would bless me somehow, or maybe I could find some inner peace or stability in my life. Or maybe you don't really want things from God as much as you just want the benefits that come from being involved in Christian community. Maybe you're here really because you just want friends, and you know this is an easy place to get them. Or maybe you're here and you call yourself a Christian and you do all this church stuff because you can't stand the thought of your parents not being happy with you. Maybe you call yourself a Christian because the only way so-and-so would ever date me is if I was a Christian. All of those examples are, in varying degrees, just another way of seeking Jesus, not for Jesus, but for bread. You're not looking for God, but you are looking for the stuff that God can get you, or you think that it will get you. And Jesus is not going to allow that. Because Jesus knows that that stuff is just bread. And it will only satisfy you for about as long as your human appetite can be satisfied. How many times do you eat every day? Okay, temporary pleasures, temporary things, circumstances does not last forever. And so Jesus knows that he can't build a kingdom on that stuff. Because he knows that if that's the reason that you're wanting to enter into his kingdom, that it's just a matter of time before you're hungry again and you're going to go look somewhere else for it. That Jesus knows that a kingdom built on temporary pleasures is a temporary kingdom. And Jesus doesn't want to be the king of a temporary kingdom. He is the king of an eternal kingdom. And Jesus knows that the people who will really enter his kingdom cannot be people that are so fickle and easily satisfied and so easily dissatisfied because Jesus knows that if you're going to be in his kingdom, it may not work out for your best circumstances. He knows that anybody that's looking for God just to make their life better or to get something good out of it is going to be really disappointed when it comes to it because Jesus knows that if you are really in his kingdom, your king may ask you to go on a mission to a place where there is no food, literally, to starving communities. And because you are in Jesus' kingdom, your king might ask you to rather than find food for yourself, give the last bit of your food that you have away for the good of somebody else. Jesus knows that to be a Christian, to really seek Jesus, is costly. That if you're really a Christian, it never promises you that your life is going to get better. In fact, if anything, it promises you the opposite. Okay, to really be a Christian means that Jesus may and will ask you to give up things that are very important to you. 
that to follow Jesus might actually cost you friendships or relationships, even with your parents. Jesus knows that if you are really in his kingdom, it might put you into situations that are decidedly not in your best interest. And so he doesn't want these disciples, these followers of him, to get the wrong idea. He says, look, you're just coming here for bread. But if you really want to be in my kingdom, it's going to cost you. It's not going to get you what you want in the moment. So he's blowing up their ideas and saying, look, if I'm your king, it might mean that you're hungry. But Jesus says in Matthew 5 that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. He says, those are the people that I want in my kingdom and they will be truly satisfied. So Jesus knows that it's not the most important thing to meet their temporary needs with stuff like bread, but that they would have their eternal needs met. And so that's where he's trying to open up their eyes. Look at verse 27. He says, look, you, you're just coming for me because you want bread. He says in verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. I think it's really interesting that Jesus says work. Don't work for the bread, for the food that perishes. So I just imagine, again, how much work it took for them to get over onto the other side of the sea. I think that's a good parable for us. Because a lot of us are expending a lot of effort trying to satisfy ourselves. Why are you working so hard at school? Why are you in all the clubs that you're in? Why do you spend so much time worrying about the clothes that you wear or your future plans or this relationship? Okay, you are expending a lot of effort for things that only satisfy temporarily. And Jesus is saying, stop working for that kind of food, but instead work for the food that endures to eternal life. like what we read in Isaiah 55 that we opened up with. Isaiah asked the same question. He says, don't, don't spend your money on food that doesn't ultimately satisfy because there's better food out there. So when Jesus is talking about what they work for, he's not really talking about work at all, is he? He's not talking about the kind of work that they're doing. He's talking about the object of their work. And I don't really get it. So look at verse 28. They said to him, well, then what must, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So it's not a work at all that he's talking about. It's, it's faith. He's saying, stop looking at yourself and your own needs and your own wants and the things that you think will satisfy you, make you happy. Don't even look at your own efforts, but look instead on the one whom God has sent, the Messiah. So the part that we're going to get into makes a lot more sense when you understand that the Jewish people at this time had this expectation that the Messiah, the king that they were waiting for, the person that would come to make everything right in their lives, which is really all any of us want, they had this expectation that the Messiah would be better, would be greater than the prophet Moses from the Old Testament. And the prophet Moses, if you're familiar with books like Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, the prophet Moses, while he was leading the people of Israel out in the wilderness, 
During that time, a sign was performed where God fed all of those people in the wilderness, thousands upon thousands of people, with bread that came from heaven, which was called manna. And so this manna would miraculously appear, and it was bread unlike any other bread. They, they were even at a loss for words to try and describe it. It was just this bread that came from heaven that fed them for 40 years as they were wandering around in the wilderness. And so you have to think, here we are in the wilderness. This guy who's claiming to be the Messiah has just fed us in the wilderness. And so what are they going to be thinking about manna? But then they're like, hold on though. Because that bread that you fed us, while that was a cool trick, Jesus, that bread was still just bread bread. Moses had heavenly bread. And we know that the Messiah is going to be even better than Moses. So if you're really saying that you're the one whom God has sent, let's talk about this bread thing for a minute. That's what they do in verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So like, what you got, Jesus? Look what he says. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Does that remind anybody else of the woman at the well that we looked at last week? Where Jesus is talking about the water, and he's like, if you asked me, I'd give you water, and you'd drink it, and you'd never be thirsty. And she's like, yeah, I want that water. Same thing. Jesus says that there is a better bread. And whoever eats that will have life. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I want that bread. I want the life bread. That sounds awesome. Tell me more about this bread of life. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So this is the first of what we call the seven I am statements in the book of John. There's seven times where Jesus makes a statement just like this, where he says, I am something. And this study is called, Who Did Jesus Think He Was? And so this gives us really good insights into what Jesus considered himself to be. But it's also really important when you know that God, Jesus' Father, when he revealed himself to Moses that first time, back in the book of Exodus, referred to himself, said that his own name was, I am. So Moses, who everybody's all caught up in, Moses knew God as I am. Which in Hebrew, you can also say Yahweh or Jehovah. I am. That's what that means. And Jesus, seven times in the Gospel of John, very intentionally makes these statements where he is referring to himself. And how, what does he say? I am. This is Jesus saying, I am that God that Moses worshipped. And I am the bread of life. Look again, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never, I, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, 
not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose anything of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's an incredible thing to say about yourself. But if it's true, that's wonderful. There is something that we can eat. There is something that we can participate in. And if we eat it, we will never be hungry again. If we eat it, we will never thirst. Jesus says, that's me. I came out of heaven to give that to you. That's true. It's incredible. But it's hard to believe. It was hard to believe for them. Look at what happens in 41. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? We will go out and do evangelism on campus. And I ask people this question. Who do you think Jesus thought he was? I'm surprised at how many people are so quick to say he was just an ordinary man. So there's no way that these things that he said about himself could be true because he's just a man. That's what the Jews are saying. We know his mom and dad. How dare he say he came down out of heaven? That's ridiculous. Look at 43. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. These are awesome verses. They are so dense. There is so much good stuff in here. I actually think these are talking a lot about predestination and free will. Isn't that a fun conversation? You want to buy me coffee? I would love to sit down and talk about what these verses mean. But you cannot talk about these verses tonight. Don't get sidetracked by these verses tonight. Will you do that in your connect? Don't talk about these in your connect group. We don't have time for that. You guys can do that in your connect, in your growth groups or whatever. But, but tonight, that's not the main point. The main point is in verse 47. He sums it up. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And if it wasn't weird enough, it gets really weird now. It says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That is highly offensive. It's weird now. To a Jewish audience, the thought of someone giving their flesh to be eaten that is almost blasphemous. Okay? That breaks every law that they had in their dietary restrictions. So 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me 
he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And they don't get it. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And so he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Isn't that incredible? Jesus has a crowd of 10,000 people and he says the one thing that would make them all leave. Is that what you would do? So Jesus said to the 12, verse 67, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now right there at the very end, we kind of get this key that unlocks the rest of a very weird sermon about people eating and drinking Jesus' body and blood. At the very end, it's a little bit of foreshadowing from John the Apostle. And you have to remember that the book of John is kind of supplemental to the other Gospels. The other Gospels have already circulated. People kind of know what happened with Jesus. And so they're going to see this just like they would through the rest of the book of John, and they're going to know the whole time while they're reading what happens at the end. That Judas Iscariot didn't really love Jesus. Even though he was a disciple, he was a false disciple. He didn't really love Jesus, but he loved Jesus' stuff. And when someone came along with the offer of better stuff, he abandoned Jesus and betrayed him into the hands of the authorities, and they killed him. They nailed him to a cross. the end of the book, Jesus dies. And his dying is the way that Jesus can offer to us his flesh, his body, and his blood. You saw there earlier in verses like verse 57, he says, the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And John chapter 5 Jesus says that the Father has life in himself and he has granted to the Son to have life. That whoever would believe in the Son might have life. This is what we saw in John chapter 1. You remember that? That the light was coming into the world and the light was the life of men. Jesus is life in himself. And any of us, when we are trying to satisfy ourselves with different things, what are we really looking for? Life. And Jesus says, I am life. And life died. Jesus, who is life, gave his life away. 
on a cross. This is the second reason that Jesus wouldn't let them make him king. Because if Jesus let them make him king right then and there, then he would have had at least 10,000 people protecting him from the authorities when they came to arrest him and kill him. That if Jesus had been made an earthly king right then and there, he would have been spared the cross. But Jesus knew about himself that he came to be the savior of the world. And the way that he would save the world was by giving up his life. That whoever would believe in him, who would by faith feast on the body and the blood that he sacrificed for their sake, whoever would taste and see that the Lord is good would have life. Because he was life and he gave his life away. And I think that's so beautiful. In this whole story, you get this picture of all these people that are so selfishly trying to satisfy themselves. And Jesus came and selflessly gave of everything that he had that they could have life. And if there was any question of whether or not Jesus truly was what he's saying that he is here, if there was any question that Jesus was truly life in himself, was that even when life died, he couldn't stay dead. Because he's life. And so three days later, he rose from the grave. And if that really happened, then all of this is true. This is the kind of king that we have. Not a king that would take on his head a crown of gold, but a king that would take a crown of thorns so that you could have life. And I love what Peter says when Jesus gives him the option to go somewhere else. Peter says, where are we going to go? You're the one with life. And we know it. Now, we just sprinted through 71 verses. And that's all really high up stuff. Remember we said the Gospel of John is the Gospel that's like looking at all of the heavenly stuff. Okay, the really high-minded stuff. And so I was trying to think as I was going through this, like, man, is there any way that I can just like bring this down to a really basic level? So that you can walk away with just a really simple understanding of this. Like, I mean like a really basic level, like, like a baby's understanding of this text. And then I was reading this book to my daughter. Anybody, anybody read this book? You know this book? The Very, the very Hungry Caterpillar? Oh man, this is, a great, this is a great book. And I hadn't read it in decades. And I'm reading this to my daughter and I'm like, wow, this is... This is I don't know if Eric Carl meant this, but this is awesome. And if you haven't read this, this is in Spanish too if you want it. You know, you can. Um, but can I just share some of this story with you? Because it starts, right, it starts with this caterpillar that gets born. And, and he's hungry. So on the first day, on Monday, it says he ate through one apple, but he was still hungry. So on Tuesday, he ate through two pears, but he was still hungry. On Wednesday, he ate through three plums, but he was still hungry. On Thursday, he ate through four strawberries, but he was still hungry. On Friday, he ate through five oranges, but he was still hungry. Guys, there are a lot of things in this world, good things, good, great, God-glorifying things, that if you look to them to be the thing that will give you life, 
if you look to them to be the thing that will satisfy you, if you look for them to be the thing that will fill that eternal hunger that you have, you will find that you ate your way all the way through it and you're still hungry. School, relationships, family, friends, your career, the work that you do. These are all good things, but they are not what will ultimately fill you up forever. And maybe you've known that. Maybe you've gotten that thing that you thought was so good and you had it. And maybe you feel great for a little bit, but then what? You're still hungry. And so you move on to the next thing. This is kind of a book that teaches you the days of the week. And I, again, I think he's brilliant. On Saturday, he eats through a piece of chocolate cake, an ice cream cone, a pickled cheese, salami, candy, pie, cupcakes, watermelons. This was me in college. <laughs> Every Saturday. Trying to satisfy myself with stuff that will never fill me up. And so I don't know if, if he knew this or not. But the next day was Sunday. And the caterpillar ate through one nice green leaf. And after that, he felt much better. I don't know if you know this about caterpillars. Um, every caterpillar, its egg, is actually laid on a tree that happens to be the only species of tree that that caterpillar can eat. Every caterpillar has its own special species of tree that is the only food that it can eat. So if you find a caterpillar, you better be really careful about which tree you put it on. Because you put, if you put it on the wrong tree, it cannot be nourished from those leaves. You know that? Isn't that interesting? You were made to be nourished by one thing, by Jesus Christ. And if you eat anything else, no matter how good it might taste, it will never fill you up. But this little caterpillar, he eats the green leaf, and after that he feels much better, and then he wasn't hungry anymore, and now he's a fat caterpillar. And he builds a little house, a little cocoon, and a few days later, he comes out and he's a beautiful butterfly. I don't know who's in here, but I know we are all tempted to try and find life and things that aren't Jesus. And maybe you just need to be reminded that brother or sister in Christ, that is not where your life is found. You know, those things are good, but they are not the bread of life. Maybe you're in here right now and you need to hear this for the first time. Because what is true is that if you feast by faith in Jesus Christ, you won't be hungry anymore. And you will never thirst. And in fact, you will be transformed. You will be transformed into a new creation that will glorify God and testify to the goodness of this King who gave everything that He had that we may have life. So you guys go into your groups and eat some bread of life. Okay, let me pray.